Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray, Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Morant with a running start. Elevate! Oh, it ducks! Oh, my goodness! Oh. Tie game in overtime. Gasol will turn his heat. tell if there are any punches being thrown under there but Griffin took exception to something the officials break it up quickly Griffin. see he just locked his arm and then kind of pulled him over Zach falls down and then you know what a little elbow there oh, he's digging the elbow yeah. welcome to grits and grinds a Memphis Grizzlies podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network my name is Keith Parrish the Grizzlies lose game three to the Utah Jazz. They lose their first home playoff game in four seasons. Once again, Ja Morant leads the way and has a very strong game in defeat. Once again, Dylan Brooks does basically everything he can. In this game, he fouls out. Once again, the Grizzlies get beaten badly. From the three-point line as the Jazz make 19 three-pointers. Once again, the Jazz carve up the Grizzlies' defense with pick-and-rolls and multiple dribble penetrations. And the Grizzlies cannot overcome the Jazz's offense. I want to say it's defensive deficiencies, and there are things that the Grizzlies could tighten up and perform better, but the Jazz's offense was too good for the Grizzlies defense and despite putting up a great fight and taking a fourth quarter lead, putting together a memorable fourth quarter run, especially memorable for those of you lucky enough to attend the game in person. 
the growl towels were flying. I was pacing around my basement, jumping up and down, very, very excited. So the Grizzlies put up a strong fight. The Grizzlies made some three-pointers. 13 is enough, you would think, for the Grizzlies to stay in the game. And that's, I think, why they were in the game. The bench made some three-pointers. Grayson Allen had a huge game. But it isn't enough to overcome the number one seed Jazz in this game. It isn't enough to overcome Mike Conley's masterful game. It isn't enough to overcome those pick and rolls with Rudy Gobert. The most interesting thing to me about this game, from my little obsessive microcosmic view of Grizzlies basketball, is how they were going to adjust the lineups and the rotation. And then in this game, they did, in fact, change the lineups and rotation in the first half, but then they abandoned it totally in the second half. And I thought that strategy or adjustment was intriguing. And just the way the game played out was interesting. And then, of course, there are just the eye-popping stats continued by John Morant. So I'm going to go through the whole game, kind of what went right, what went wrong, and I'm going to try to do most of the compliments up front, and then we can get some of the, uh, maybe the criticisms or questions at the back. Once again, like I said last episode, the Jazz are really, really good. The task in front of the Grizzlies is basically impossible when the Jazz are making their three-pointers. When Jordan Clarkson's on fire, when Mike Conley's knocking down all of his shots, then the Jazz approach this, there's no chance we're going to beat them. It was a great effort for the Grizzlies to be ahead in the fourth quarter. Last episode, I said no matter what, I'm not sure the Grizzlies could have won that game. This game, they could have won, but still, you're up against an elite offensive unit. You're up against a team that had one of the better regular seasons in recent NBA history. And they have a weapon in their pick and roll when Gobert's out there. Gobert who sets massive wide screens. Some of them are barely legal. After the game, Dylan Brooks said every screen Gobert sets is a moving screen. I think it feels that way. A lot of the screens are legal. A lot of the screens are hard to adjudicate, but he's a massive person with a wide body. And when you have elite offensive players paired with Gobert, when you have Conley and Mitchell or Jordan Clarkson, who are great penetrators, can attack off the ball, and also are very good shooters, when they are running that pick and roll with Gobert, and then the court is filled with awesome three-point shooters, when Bojan Bogdanovic is in the corner and Joe Ingles is in the corner, and when Royce O'Neal is out there and Royce O'Neal has it going on, it's kind of unstoppable. And with the NBA rules as they are, where if you pressure the ball handler coming over the screen, and then that ball handler stops short or just completely stops and rises up and shoots, well, that's a shooting foul. You go under the screen, you're dead on the shot. So I see a lot of people expressing frustration that, hey, three games for the coaching staff to make no adjustment against the pick and roll, that's terrible coaching. No, no. I'm telling you, the play is virtually unstoppable. This is why the Jazz are the number one seed. I don't want you to be discouraged and say the Jazz are unbeatable. But I guess I could say when the Jazz make their three-pointers, they kind of are very close to unbeatable for this Grizzlies team. The Grizzlies have to do so many things correct. 
to overcome the Jazz's offense. And like tonight, you know, you got a huge game from Grayson Allen. You got a good game from the bench. I mean, the bench showed up in this game. But the starters, you know, outside of Dylan and Ja scoring, you got, I mean, you got good games, essentially. You got, like, Kyle Anderson played a very good game. Was dominant on the glass. Once again, good on defense. Made some nice steals. But his shot wasn't there. And despite making 13 three-pointers, which might be enough for the Grizzlies usually, the starters were only five for 26 combined from three. Dylan Brooks, despite a great offensive game, was one for seven. Jaron Jackson Jr. was one for five from three. Kyle was one for five. Jonas was 0 for two. Both the Jonas's threes maybe were ill-advised. They weren't the total standstill shot puts we like to see. So you have to do a lot of things well to beat the Jazz. The Grizzlies did several things well, but maybe not a lot. Maybe that's language semantics that don't make sense. But the Grizzlies didn't do enough things correct to overcome how well the Jazz played. But I mean, bless their hearts for trying. John Morant scored 28 points. He now has 101 points through his first three playoff games. Grizzlies PR letting us know he is the fourth player in league history to score at least 100 points in his first three playoff games. The other three are hilariously good. George Mikan, as we talked about last episode, the first great professional basketball player, a giant among men in the 40s. He did it. Wilt Chamberlain, might have heard of him, a giant among men. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, arguably the greatest scorer ever. So the four players in NBA history with at least 100 points through their first three career playoff games, George Mikan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and our Ja Morant, weighing 175 pounds. So eye-popping numbers from Ja Morant. I saw some Jazz fans wondering if maybe the Jazz are allowing Morant to get his in an effort to take away everyone else and force Morant to single-handedly beat them. No, I don't think they're doing that at all. I think that's absolutely not the way to beat the Grizzlies either. I think if you focused everything on stopping Morant, the other Grizzlies are not going to beat you. I think that's a good strategy to try to stop John Morant. But John Morant is just getting whatever he wants, usually. And he was masterful, again. Obviously, those 101 points through three games, it's the fourth highest total in NBA history. So that makes it easily the highest in Grizzlies franchise history. But interestingly, Dylan Brooks who has 81 points in his first three career playoff games. That is the most in Grizzlies franchise history, not counting John Morant. That might have been confusing, but to clarify, before this playoff run, the most points scored in Grizzlies franchise history in a player's first three career playoff games was Rudy Gay, who scored 64 points in his first three career playoff games. That was against the Los Angeles Clippers in 2012 the painful first-round seven-game series that the Grizzlies lost. But he had 64 points in his first three career playoff games. Dylan Brooks now has 81 in his first three career playoff games, and Morant has 101. So Brooks and Morant have stormed onto the scene in the playoffs. Dylan Brooks in his last 10 games, 
That's three playoff games, two play-in games, and then the last five regular season games. He is averaging 22.6 points per game in that 10-game span. He's 46% from the field. He's a not very good 28% from three and a not very good 74% from the foul line. But with his dominant defensive performance, it's just an overall outstanding run from Dylan Brooks. 22.6 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.6 steals, and 0.7 blocks with only one turnover per game. 1.1 turnovers per game. So in his last 10 games, Dylan Brooks has been everything you could have ever hoped for. I feel that. 22.6 points per game and 1.6 steals per game on decent efficiency. I mean, overall 46% field goal percentage. You're going to take that from Dylan Brooks. He's made, I think, a leap. I think he made mini leaps during the season. That's a M-I-N-I. I thought he made some tiny leaps during the season. I was pleased throughout the season that I thought he had made some steps from the previous season and was being a more willing passer, was having less tunnel vision. He still takes bad shots at times, but I thought he made a lot of improvements in that area. I went from last year in the bubble thinking he was actively harmful at a lot of times for the Grizzlies to thinking, no, this guy's legit. This guy is someone you want to have, you want to keep him because he's a good wing player who tries hard on defense who can score, and those are some of the hardest players to acquire in the NBA. There is a dearth of wings who can score and play good defense. So I was very pleased with his regular season. He finished the regular season on a very good run. The second half of the season after the All-Star break, we saw Dylan Brooks improving, his field goal percentage going way up, his points per game going way up. But now in the postseason, in the play-in games, in these playoff games, and then if you throw in those last five games of the regular season where the Grizzlies needed to win as they were trying to catch the Warriors for the eighth seed and hold off the Spurs, he's made, I think, like this leap. So, I mean, great stuff from Dylan Brooks, great stuff from John Morant. Now, let's walk through what happened in this game, the good and the bad and the adjustments that I think were, were very, very interesting right after this short break. Okay, going into the game, going into game three, the thing I harped the most on that you absolutely had to change was the rotation and the way the second unit was coming in. The way the Grizzlies were putting all of their bench wings on the court together, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, and Grayson Allen, and playing very, very small against a Jazz unit where they would bring in Conley and Gobert to play against the Grizzlies' second unit. The Jazz take out Conley and Gobert early in the first quarter to bring them back in to play with their second unit because they don't play like 10 deep. They don't play this platoon system of five guys to start and then five guys off the bench. The Grizzlies have been shortening the rotation a little bit, but they still seem to prefer playing four bench guys together. And so I was arguing, suggesting One, the Grizzlies can never put four of their bench players on the court together in this series. Specifically because of who the bench players were, they were too small. And you can't play Jaron and four wings, essentially guards. You can't play Jaron and four guys under 6'6 against a Gobert lineup with Ingles and Conley. And you can't play even Valanciunas with four guys under 6'6 
or four guys under 6'7". I guess we're counting Dylan Brooks as being 6'7". Then it's not going to work. It's a huge advantage for the Jazz. So I was pretty sure they would adjust something. I didn't think they would go back to it. And in the first half, they did not go back to it. They actually changed it totally. And I was pretty excited about it. Unfortunately, the Grizzlies got lit up in the first quarter. After the game, when Taylor Jenkins was asked about the end of the game, when the Jazz, you know, went on a, whatever it was, 12-0 run to seal the game, Taylor Jenkins basically threw it back to saying he was more concerned about the first quarter where they did not execute and they gave up a big lead to the Jazz. And this was the third time this season he was saying against the Jazz that they have not come out in the first quarter and performed. Early on, I thought it was the offensive execution. It wasn't necessarily the defensive execution. I mean, the Jazz were scoring, but it seemed like they were kind of making slightly tougher shots. You're still conceding some stuff, you know, off the Jazz penetration, off those tough-to-navigate go-bear screens, but the Grizzlies weren't really generating any good looks. And in the first six minutes, the Grizzlies scored nine points. They're down 18-9. to At this point, the Grizzlies sub out Kyle Anderson and Jonas Valanciunas, and this is a change. This is a welcome change, I thought, because it looks like they're going to match Conley and Gobert's minutes with Kyle Anderson and Jonas Valanciunas. That was my thinking at this time. So you pull out Kyle and Jonas early, and Brandon Clark checks into the game. Brandon Clark, who had been getting DNPs recently. So instead of Tillman, they roll with Brandon Clark. I'm fine with this change. Don't have a strong opinion about it. I think Brandon Clark can be utilized in this series. It was interesting what happened in the time he was on the court. I liked the lineup just fine, but you had you had John Morant guarding Boyan Bogdanovich. You had Dylan Brooks on Donovan Mitchell. Desmond Bain, who checked in for Kyle Anderson, was guarding Joe Ingles. Then Jaron is on Derek Favors, and Brandon Clark is on Royce O'Neal. Uh, Royce O'Neal, a 3 and D guy. And so, I don't know if it's by design, but Brandon Clark helped off of Royce O'Neal twice in a row to give up open three-pointers. And where Brandon was set up on these plays, it looked like it was by design. He basically, you know, had his foot on the nail uh, trying to guard into the paint, um, but unfortunately gave up these two good looks to Royce O'Neal. He made both those three-pointers. Royce O'Neal had a great game. And I don't know if it's because of that, but like he makes those two threes and those four minutes in the first quarter are all we ever see of Brandon Clark. I mean, after those two made threes by Royce O'Neal, the Grizzlies maintained distance. Like they didn't actually lose any points. They were playing well on offense. And so I don't know if it was a frustration over giving up those plays. To my basically untrained eye, it looked like Brandon Clark was doing what he was supposed to be doing, at least based on where he was set up. The first three was kind of deep. The second one, maybe he wasn't supposed to help in, and that's what made Taylor Jenkins angry. But anyway, the Grizzlies have now shuffled their rotation, where you have Bain and Clark playing with three starters. And then, once those guys check out, with the Grizzlies still down by about, I think they're down by seven, you have Valanchunas and Kyle Anderson come back in matching up when Conley and Gobert come back in. I love this adjustment. This is everything I asked for. At this point of the series, this is like the, the happiest I've been uh, with like the rotation. You're not putting three bench guys on the court together even. You're not even putting four bench guys on the court together. Morant, Melton, Bain, Kyle Anderson, and Jonas Valanciunas to end your quarter with? I love that lineup. Unfortunately... They got killed. 
They gave up an 8-0 run to finish the quarter. Is the takeaway, you should never listen to my opinion about lineups. It's possible. It's completely possible. But this lineup you had, Kyle Anderson missed an easy floater. They got an offensive rebound on the inbounds play under the basket. De'Anthony Melton had his layup blocked. Then Clarkson goes down, makes a nice floater. Morant misses a three. Uh, Then Joe Ingles walks into a three where Jonas Valanciunas is retreating way too soon off the pick and roll. He's falling back into the paint when Gobert is out past the three-point line. That's a big error from Jonas Valanciunas. Gives up the Ingles three. Then John Morant turns it over where him and Kyle have a miscommunication on a pick and roll. And and George Yang then hits a open three that's in semi-transition. So that's a, that's a quick 8-0 run. Grizzlies are down 15, down 34 to 19. The Jazz have been on fire this first quarter. The Grizzlies are down 15. Grayson Allen checks in with like uh, 15 seconds left in that first quarter. The Grizzlies do get a three-pointer from DeAnthony Melton to finish the first quarter. And it's 35 to 22 after one. No, strike that. 34 to 22 after one. The Jazz have played an excellent first quarter. The Grizzlies defense has shown some issues and have given up these open threes and the Jazz have knocked them down. Now, I don't know throughout the game how much of the open three issue falls under uh, Jonas Valanciunas' watch. I said earlier that their their pick and roll, the Jazz's pick and roll, is essentially unguardable when the dribblers can stop or pull up at any point and get fouled and the Grizzlies have to go over these screens, and if they're making the shots, it's going to be tough to cover. But there were some points, I think, where Jonas gave up too many threes by not getting out on the shooters. And a lot of that strategy, and I don't know how much of it is strategy and how much of it is the game plan for where he's supposed to be, but I think there were a few that were obviously incorrect from him. And I was looking this up to see if there was anything to take away from it. Without assigning blame or without understanding exactly what everyone's roles are, the Jazz attempted 35 of their three-pointers in the 35 minutes Jonas played. The Jazz made 16 of them. That's 46% on three-pointers. 16 for 35 in Jonas's 35 minutes on the court. In the 13 minutes he was off the court, they only attempted eight three-pointers. Only made three of them. So with Jonas on the court, the Jazz... Attempted one three-pointer per minute. He was out there. And then when he was off the court, only eight three-pointers in 13 minutes. I don't know if there's any conclusions to be drawn from that. I'm just regurgitating those numbers for you. It felt like an issue. But anyway, the Grizzlies start the second quarter. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, like they took a big shot from the Jazz. What, but what, what can the Grizzlies do? And again, I like what the Grizzlies are doing with the rotation. They start the second quarter instead of having four guards in a big against this elite jazz unit, you have Valanchunas and Kyle Anderson, your starting front court, along with Melton and Grayson Allen and Tyus Jones. I like this lineup totally. This is, works fine for me. It's essentially what I asked for. Stagger the starters so it's not all bench guys. Don't play small. I like the game plan. Unfortunately, they still don't have an answer for the Jazz. The Jazz keep making threes, and then they start getting these fouls. They get the fouls on three-pointers. You get uh, one from Grayson Allen. You get one from Dylan Brooks, which really sets off Taylor Jenkins. He gets that the technical foul, arguing that. They keep attacking on the pick-and-rolls, getting dunks, and Conley's just carving them up. Fortunately, the Grizzlies throughout this second quarter are, are attacking and scoring well. 
the Grizzlies are getting what they want to do on offense. Dylan's playing great. Grayson Allen knocks down a three-pointer. And so despite everything, when the half ends, I'm feeling reasonably optimistic. The Jazz make 11 three-pointers in the first half and make 11 free throws. The Grizzlies only make four free throws in the first half. So the Grizzlies, they made, they made seven threes of their own. They're only getting outscored you know, by 12 on these three-pointers. And they gave up a lot more free throw attempts. And so they're down seven from the free throw line. I'm feeling vaguely optimistic about the Grizzlies' chances because I loved the rotation adjustments. And I thought they took maybe the Jazz's best punch. And I was thinking, okay, you're only down 11. This is completely manageable. Now, one interesting thing about this first half that I thought was funny. You can't tell me it's not funny. So Grayson Allen has a good game. Great shooting game from Grayson Allen tonight. Later in the game, they will attack him mercilessly on defense. But Grayson Allen gave you everything he could. Excellent shooting game. He was the fourth guy in off the bench. You had Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, D'Anthony Melton check in before him. Grayson Allen makes his first three-pointer. And at that point, he doesn't check out again. And the reason I find it funny is because we've talked about this a lot. Grayson Allen is the only guy on the team, it seems like, where if he makes his first shot, he gets to play the rest of the game. No other player enjoys this benefit, as far as I can tell. D'Anthony Melton made his first three-pointer of the game. Regular rotation. Desmond Bain? Desmond Bain is four for six on three-pointers in this series. He missed his last one of this game. But Desmond Bain started this series four for five from three. He doesn't get extra run. Desmond Bain played six minutes in the first quarter. Once Grayson Allen hits his shots, it's like, oh, well, all right. Desmond Bain and uh, Melton aren't coming back in. Grayson Allen played the entire second quarter. This is the second time this season that Grayson Allen has played the entire second quarter. The only other player who's been allowed to play an entire second quarter was Justice Winslow off the bench in a game where the Grizzlies uh, were trying to get him involved. It's peculiar to me that once Grayson Allen makes a shot, they're like, all right, this guy's not leaving. We got to, uh, we got to keep him on. And it's great when he's knocking down his shots. He opens things up on the offense. But uh, Grayson Allen played 30 of the final 37 minutes of this game. He's got to, when, he, when he has it going on, we just, that, that's who we roll with. But anyway, the second half, I'm feeling optimistic. Unfortunately, the Jazz come out and attack the Grizzlies once again. And it's our guy, Mike Conley. Mike Conley hits a three to open the second half. Makes another one for good measure, just showing off for the home fans. I mean, by the way, so much credit to Mike Conley. Mike Conley hit seven three-pointers in this game, which ties his career high. It was the fifth time he'd done it at the FedEx Forum. This was the first one with a visitor's uniform on. Sean Coleman from Locked on Grizzlies, he found the stat that uh, Mike Conley is just the second player ever. 33 years or older to have 28 points, seven assists and seven threes in a playoff game. Chris Paul is the only other one to do that. So Conley balled out. I mean, he was awesome, but he pushes the jazz lead back up. But fortunately in the second half, the Grizzlies play with a lot of fire and Jonas Valanciunas wakes up. Jonas had zero points at the first half. It was his first scoreless half 
of the entire season, scoreless first half of the entire season. Jonas comes out and is a beast again. And the Grizzlies showed why they have been a third-quarter team for most of the season. Great net rating all season in the third quarter. The thing I was monitoring closely with this quarter as the Grizzlies traded buckets with the Jazz is what would happen with the substitution pattern. And they totally switched from what they did in the first half. Now Grayson Allen is the first guy in the game. They don't take Jonas Valanciunas out when Gobert comes out. Probably that's because Jonas was rolling. I mean, Jonas scored, I think, 10 points in that third quarter. So they leave Jonas in for a little bit longer, and they roll with the small ball. They get Jaron out of there. They get Kyle out of there. They bring in Grayson and Bain. And so now this is probably, now we're approaching the thing that I don't enjoy or that makes me nervous because they actually went legit small ball with Jonas Valanciunas. But this is against Derek Favors, so we're more okay with it. We're like, all right, let's roll with this. You got Ja and Grayson and Desmond and Dylan Brooks and Jonas Valanciunas against the Jazz team anchored by Derek Favors. And again, the Grizzlies are playing tough. Grayson Allen is locked in, knocking down three-pointers. John Moran is attacking, getting what he wants. The Grizzlies cut it to a four-point game. Like, the grindhouse is rocking. The Grizzlies have gotten within, it's 80-76. to 76. Then Mike Conley comes back in the game. Then Rudy Gobert comes back in the game. And now this is the issue. This explicitly, I think, is the problem. Now, I'm wrong about a lot of things, and basketball is a sport where you can do all the right things and it's still not work out for you. But this is the highlighted problem where the Jazz have said, okay, we're putting in our heavy hitters. We're going with this special lineup of Conley, Clarkson, Ingles, Gobert. And instead of Nyang, now Bojan Bogdanovic is still in the game. So now you have all of the Jazz's top scorers outside of Donovan Mitchell against the Grizzlies' small ball unit, against Balanchunas with Bain and Brooks as your forwards. And it happened immediately and quickly. Bojan Bogdanovich hits a three, open three, up nine. First play, they hit a three, up nine. Grizzlies call timeout. The Grizzlies run a play for Desmond Bain. He misses this three-pointer. The Jazz's first play after this timeout, they use Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gobert to run a pick and roll that's going to be defended by Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas. Give Jazz all the credit. This whole series, every, every time they call timeout, they come out and execute and get something. And they attack the Grizzlies' weak point. They say, we're going to make Grayson and Jonas guard a pick and roll. And it leads to an open three-pointer for Jordan Clarkson. It should have been an and one. Brevin Knight on the Bally's call said, you know, Grayson Allen grabs Jordan Clarkson when he rises to shoot. He makes it. So instantaneously, it went from a six-point game to a 12-point game. The Grizzlies adjust by bringing Kyle Anderson back in, and then Jaron Jackson checks in. So now at least you have a more reasonably sized front court of Jaron and Kyle. And again, Ja is scoring basically every other possession. So the Grizzlies are staying within an arm's reach of the Jazz. But those back-to-back possessions for the Jazz to get six points when they have that huge advantage with the lineup was so disheartening. And then... To finish the quarter, while they are kind of trading buckets, the end of the third quarter was also devastating for the Grizzlies, where Jordan Clarkson makes an incredible step-back three-pointer against perfect defense. He makes that to put the Jazz back up 11, despite a pretty strong third quarter from the Grizzlies, and John Morant comes down and tries to play one on the whole team. He briefly 
lapses into a hero ball mentality. He does not pass the ball. Grayson Allen is open. Jaron Jackson Jr. is open. He seems like he's trying to get a step back three one-on-one against Jordan Clarkson. He's doubled, though. He misses the shot. And so the Grizzlies go into the fourth quarter down 96 to 85. But the fourth quarter turns out to be a delight. The start of it, especially, obviously. I mean, that's where the Grizzlies go on a big run. The Grizzlies start the fourth quarter with Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson Jr. In a universe where I haven't seen Jaron Jackson Jr. struggle all season, I'm so excited about this lineup. I mean, the, the Kyle, Jaron Jackson Jr., DeAnthony Melton three-man combo was one of my like pet projects that I was screaming about all of last season. Last season, I was the nut being like, why don't we play Kyle and DeAnthony and Jaron? Their net rating's amazing. Those guys should always play together. So obviously this season, Jaron's been rough. And so I'm a little less excited. It's a little more nervy now. But that's a lineup last year that I would have been so excited about. But even here, I'm excited whenever, you know, whenever Melton Brooks and Anderson play together, I think it's a great combo. They've had success all season. And Tyus Jones, give him credit. He was excellent in this game. This was not a game where the bench failed you. The bench was eight for 15 on threes. The large part of that was Grayson Allen going five for eight. But Tyus and Bain and Melton were three for seven, eight for 15 from your bench performers. And this fourth quarter started with this run with some of those bench guys out there and then Dylan Brooks taking over. The start of the fourth was back-to-back Dylan Brooks buckets. They forced turnovers. Kyle got a steal. Tyus Jones got a steal. Uh, And then... In a big play in this game, massive play in this game, the Grizzlies are down by five. And Dylan Brooks commits an absolutely boneheaded foul. I mean, a silly foul for him. He got his fifth foul bumping Rudy Gobert away from the play for no reason. And so Dylan has to go out. Grayson comes back in. And the hits keep on coming. Jaron played his nicest stretch here, got some offensive rebounds. Kyle Anderson's making plays. Melton and Jones are both penetrating and and attacking the Jazz defense, which is opening things up. And then you get the huge play, man. Grayson Allen going into Gobert's chest and finishing the layup. And then the next possession, you have the Grizzlies get an offensive rebound. They swing the ball around, find a wide open Grayson Allen, and the game is tied. It capped a 13-2 run. I get chills just thinking about it. So the Jazz call timeout. And then the Grizzlies make, I think, a risky decision. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong, but I think it was risky. Coming out of this timeout, tied 98, uh, Kyle Anderson is subbed out for Desmond Bain. And so now you have Ja and Grayson and Desmond and DeAnthony Melton with Jaron Jackson Jr., Again, exactly what we said we probably should never do, or I said it, we should probably never do. Jaron Jackson Jr. with four guards. This is extremely risky to me. I mean, my exact words were last episode, this will never work when going up against Jazz starters. And again, it's notable they didn't do this in the first half. First half, totally different substitution pattern. Second half, the substitution pattern was essentially the same as games one and two where they started doing these small ball lineups. Now, obviously, they got back in the game. They made runs without the small ball lineups, but they got back in the game. So does that mean it worked? I asked Taylor Jenkins after the game, 
about the difference between the rotation patterns. And is it just a matter of Grayson Allen knocking out a bunch of shots? And we say, okay, we're going back to small ball. Or is it just you didn't see something he, he didn't see something he liked in the first half with, with the way it worked? And he just said, kind of brusquely, that he just made an adjustment and he thought playing small gave them some advantages. And uh, he just went with his gut. So he's two for two on going with his gut. But anyway, what happened with this smaller lineup was on the first play, the Jazz's first play after the timeout, uh, Rudy Gobert got an offensive putback dunk. He dunked a Mike Conley miss. Then John Morant comes down, hits a floater, tied at 100. Uh, Jazz go to the Conley-Gobert pick and roll against Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas, and Conley makes that seventh three-pointer. Jazz up three. Give the Grizzlies credit, though. They keep fighting. They keep clawing. They get a unlucky call. I think it's an unlucky call on the D'Anthony Melton illegal screen where Conley tripped over his foot. It didn't look like Melton was in improper position. His legs weren't spread out widely. But anyway, you get a bad call, which probably gets called every time. Uh, they do get a stop. Then Dylan gets a bucket. You get a stop. And now Jaw gets fouled. The Grizzlies take the lead. So the Grizzlies went with this risky lineup that I said would never work, and they've gone from being tied to Morant making two free throws and taking the lead by two. But unfortunately, they're not getting stops. They're only getting offensive heroics. In the next possession, Conley, pick and roll, lob, go bear, dunk. Morant comes back, makes a floater. At this point, if you're re-watching the game, just turn off the TV. Because now the Jazz finish the Grizzlies with a 12-0 run. They get Donovan Mitchell drives on Grayson, gets the and one. Down one, Dylan Brooks has two really good looks from three, doesn't make either one of them. At this point, uh, Kyle Anderson has come back in the game, so they're playing a, a regular sized lineup and everything. Uh, Mitchell steps into a three-pointer where he gets clear with a go-bear screen. That puts the Grizzlies down four out of the timeout, Ja misses a jumper. The Jazz get great ball movement, and it leads to a Gobert layup where he gets fouled. You're down six. That makes it the 8-0 run. Dylan gets another decent look at a three-pointer. Uh, he comes off a screen, is kind of open from the top of the key, uh, misses it. Donovan Mitchell then gets fouled on the three-pointer. That fouls out Dylan Brooks, and that's your ball game. Grizzlies down 10 and cannot win. Cannot overcome the slow start to the game and then cannot execute offensively or defensively down the stretch once they fought their way and got totally back in it. So now the Grizzlies are down 2-1. It felt like if you were going to win the series, you basically wanted to win or needed to win that game three. Chris Harrington from the Daily Memphian was pointing out that this was the sixth time the Grizzlies had returned home for a game three after getting a split in the first two games, and they were 5-0 and in the previous matchups. But they lose this one. Game three is such a swing game in series, obviously, that are tied 1-1. And one thing with this particular series, with this matchup with the Jazz, that I don't think is being fully digested and appreciated. I feel like Grizzlies fans know this, but maybe they're not savoring it the way I think they should. It is a unique situation for the Grizzlies and Jazz to be playing together because of the Mike Conley trade. You think about it that the Jazz are here because they paid the Grizzlies two first-round picks 
plus Grayson Allen, plus players that ended up becoming DeAnthony Melton and Justice Winslow and another first-round pick to be here. The Jazz paid the Grizzlies two first-round picks to get Mike Conley to make their team better. For these teams to now be facing off against each other in the playoffs, that's really cool from the Grizzlies' angle. The Grizzlies said, here, have our franchise's all-time leading score. We'll take two first-round picks and a bunch of other stuff so you can have them because this is your window to compete right now. Oh, by the way, we're going to face you in the playoffs next year, and it's going to be a tight competitive series despite that we're just starting our rebuild. I find that immensely cool. Whatever happens, that's neat to me. I mean, if it ends up being a gentleman's sweep where the Jazz just lose game one, the only game Donovan Mitchell doesn't play, okay then. We are, in fact, playing with house money. I still reserve the right to get upset about things that happen, about the way Grizzlies players play, maybe about the rotation patterns and decisions, but still, it is objectively awesome that the Grizzlies are here playing the team who traded them all this stuff so that they themselves could compete for a title and the Grizzlies are here in this playoff series, you know, staring them face to face saying, yeah, we're not going away. We're not backing down. We're going to keep fighting. Another stat from uh, Sean Coleman. In the first quarter in the series, the three pointers in the first quarter for the series, the Jazz have made 16 of 35 three pointers in the first quarters. The Grizzlies are four for 21 on threes. It's obviously a big problem. In game four, the Grizzlies need to get off to a better start. In game four, the Grizzlies need to find a way to contest, I think, these three-pointers a little bit better and to stop giving up so many dribble drives. I mean, the pick and roll is one thing. The dribble drives, not stopping the point of attack, just happens over and over and over. And I know NBA athletes are going to be able to beat defenders. Offense beats defense. But for the Grizzlies to win, you're going to need to, I think, hold the Jazz you know, to 15 three-pointers, 13 three-pointers. The Grizzlies already got a game in the series where the Jazz missed their three-pointers, and they won. And as long as the Jazz are over their season average, if you're making over 17 threes, I don't, the Grizzlies don't have a chance. I don't know if there's much more you can do off the pick and rolls. Do you just blitz the ball handler? Do you double team? You have Jonas come all the way out and leave Gobert open for the rolls? Possibly. Maybe we'll see that kind of adjustment. Because the Grizzlies' offense has been good enough. The Grizzlies are playing kind of league average offense, which is normally is good enough. Their worst offensive rating in the series so far is a 114.4 offensive rating. On defense, unfortunately, you're just giving up too much point, too many points. A 125 even is a rating. A 137 even is a rating last game. I mean, single game defensive rating is pretty easy to see. Just look at the scoreboard. <laughs> it's a bunch of points. I'll close with one final question that I think is interesting, and it's about Jaron Jackson Jr., Jaron Jackson Jr. has not been good in this series. He made some good plays in this game where he got offensive rebounds and he scored in the paint a couple times on his awkward-looking shots. But I think there's an argument to be made that if winning this series was the most important thing for the Grizzlies franchise, just period, I think there's an argument to be made that you don't play Jaron Jackson Jr. at all. Hypothetically, if the NBA was ending this year, and all that mattered was winning this one series, I think you might not play Jaron Jackson Jr. at all. And you would play Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman. I think those guys might be better right now than Jaron Jackson Jr. Obviously, the NBA is not ending. And the Grizzlies are at the start of what they hope is a long 
sustained, successful run. But Jaron's been kind of bad. He's been harmful on offense. He's been probably harmful on defense. I mean, he gets hidden on George Niang and Royce O'Neal, which is where you're going to put your worst defenders or your guys who you, you hope don't get in foul trouble. He still gets in foul trouble. He had a couple of nice teams to play this game uh, against Gobert in the post. But overall, he's not overwhelmingly helping you. And for the Grizzlies to compete in this series and to win this series, you got to have last year Jaron. You got to have good Jaron. I see people who always criticize Jaron Jackson Jr. being like, why is he shooting so many threes? He needs to be in the paint. And I'm always like, don't you understand what Jaron Jackson does? He's an elite shooter. Well, he currently is not an elite shooter. And I'm becoming sympathetic to that argument that what if he just kind of played more like a big man and used his weird gangly offensive game to get some buckets and floaters and layups and try to beat guys off the dribble, but maybe gave up on those three-point shots. Maybe the defense would still guard him knowing he's a shooter because the shot's not there. To be clear, and again, I'm not asking the Grizzlies not to play Jaron Jackson Jr. But he is going to have to play better. He is going to have to make some jumpers for the Grizzlies to hang with the Jazz. And uh, I'm a little bummed (laughs) how he's looked this season. Like, do we have to reassess our excitement over Jaron Jackson Jr.? I mean, I know, obviously, he's been out forever. He, you know, missed a solid year, basically, of conditioning and playing basketball. And he's very, very young. He's younger than John Morant. He's the youngest rotation player on the team. He's showing his age right now. He looks like a very raw, unproven rookie and not the guy we saw last year who looked like a franchise cornerstone. But anyway, the Grizzlies will be back on Monday night, late central time. I don't know when the next episode will come out, probably sometime on Tuesday. Hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Appreciate you checking out this episode. Go Grizz. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. On July 23, 1993, basketball superstar Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan, was murdered in North Carolina. This is the father of the most famous athlete on the planet. And on his 57th birthday, he was an unidentified dead man in the middle of nowhere. From WREL Studios, available now is Follow the Truth where we dig into the story of the James Jordan murder and the man who says he didn't do it. I know that if this was not Michael Jordan's file, I wouldn't be in prison. We'll question the evidence. Is it possible for a man to be shot in his car and authorities not find any blood? Our ballistics expert says it couldn't have happened. Shed light on the mystery that has always surrounded the murder. Whether his financial dealings could have had anything to do with his death. And uncover bombshell new developments. Here we are a quarter century later in the back cover on this whole murder case isn't yet closed. Follow the truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
or wherever you listen. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.